1: Welcome in, welcome in. The Bite Me podcast is on the air and in your truck, in your home, wherever you're listening right now. We appreciate it. John Lopez here, Captain Scott Noll there, and so is Captain Caleb McCumber. We got Caleb, uh, our, our field reporter, so to speak, is out there uh, getting stuff done in uh, beautiful uh, Louisiana, I believe. And uh, we'll get all the details on that in just a second. But of course. Uh, definitely want to get through some of these things because we've been really lucky of getting a bunch of new listeners uh, just about every single week. And that's awesome because uh, we get people that uh, want to talk some fishing, maybe learn a thing or two, uh, maybe uh, share some topics with us, et cetera. And we will uh, get to all that. So we want to make sure that you have all the particulars of what we're doing. And the particulars are this very simple. And we'll get into the rest of the topics. You can uh, ask those questions and topics uh, anytime you'd like uh and that can be uh, via the bite me group page on facebook easy to join just search bite me you'll find it and of course you can subscribe to this podcast if somebody shared it with you somebody uh, told you about it we appreciate them we appreciate you just go to itunes spotify google podcast anywhere you can get a podcast this one is going to be on the air so, boys, let's get right into it because, you know, I don't like to uh, waste a lot of time. We've got a lot of ground to cover, a lot of water to cover, so to speak. Uh, and uh, we're going to talk about the perfect wade. Actually, just got a question, a second question on this right before uh, we uh, started recording this podcast. So we'll get to that as well. Um, upper, middle and lower coast. This sounds very simplistic, very rudimentary. But the question I got was y- y'all talked last week and we did, about uh, the potholes and, you know, how that's distinguishable for the lower coast and how to fish them. And they appreciated that, and we appreciate the nice words. So the question was, let's say, I, you know, I, I think he was in Victoria. No, not Victoria. Some south Texas town. And he says, you know, I usually go south, you know, to the, to the uh, lower coast. Let's say I go to the middle coast. Why is that different? What do I need to know? Upper coast. Why is that different? What do I need to know? We're going to hit that with a couple of guys that have been all around uh, the Texas coast uh, more so than, than I have uh, to be exact. Uh, And uh, I think there's, there's some other really fun discussions to be had about the intercoastal canal, or as we call it down in Matagorda, the ditch. Um, A lot of times you just barrel through the ditch, so to speak. Uh, Scott and I have had this conversation uh, probably close to two years ago now about the, you know, there are things to look for things to find, uh you know don't just put your blinders on and and just barrel down that uh that ditch there are some fish to be had and i think uh, this time of year might be really really good interesting boat ramp professional that scared the heck out of me uh because I, there's no way i could do it um and we are in officially early trout fall trout pattern what is that and a lot more for you but we got to start with uh, uh caleb uh that your surroundings look slightly different uh, then the last time we had you on a Zoom call, uh, explain yourself.
0: Yeah, Jim Cantore here. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> the hurricane has officially arrived in South Louisiana. Yeah. I am. I am sitting in a Jayco travel trailer. You can see my JH boat parked right out the window. I can. Right beside me are some bayous off of what they call Mister Go, which is the Mississippi River something outlet. It's a uh, mm-hmm. it's a big chunk of water that splits up a lot of the marsh here in South Louisiana and. I've got little Steve with me, and there's a 14-foot alligator about, I don't know, 20 yards behind me just floating around in the water. So Steve and I have had to talk about that.
1: Steve, stay but, where you are.
0: Yeah, don't don't move, Steve. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's been, a, it's been a travel day for us uh, in in typical tournament fashion and my ability to remember things. I thought we were leaving Wednesday morning. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we have, that's a whole different and, and topic. Can you, we'll update, get- can you update on when you exactly left? We left. We left at 4:30 a.m. from Cypress, Texas, this morning. Uh, mm-hmm. We got down here. We we wanted to get here early, get packed, get set up, be ready to go. Um, in the back of my truck, we brought two trucks and two boats. In the back of my truck is a pellet smoker, two Weber grills. I have. I actually have a freezer, a deep freeze in the back of my truck that is that is, pl- is full to the top with food. Anybody that's ever been to Hope Dale, area, there is nothing here. It um, you know myself before I ever came, and I'm sure a lot of people they kind of picture a Venice or a Port O'Connor. Uh-uh, Jack, it is a crummy boat ramp, a little bit of fuel, a, a obnoxious, absurd amount of houses for the sustainability of going to get a bag of Doritos around this joint. Uh, it, it's a twenty, it's twenty miles to the nearest food around here, so we brought a bunch of food with us this time. Uh, out in front, I have a picnic table with a 42 inch TV, a hacks Android TV box that's wired into my iPad, so they can watch the Astros tonight. What a baby! Uh, Daniel brought no less than seven thousand bags of chips. I've got cashews, peanuts, mixed nuts. Like we are set. We are set. If 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 the world ends, me, Steve, and this jayco and Daniel, we're going to be okay. You know, uh, we we talk often on this podcast about not overpacking. We, you know, I've got four bags. I've got a bag. I've got a bag, and I and I i'll admit it i'll wear the same t-shirt for a week i could not care less <laughs> but i have four bags with me i gotta have a bag full of um just you know shorts and t-shirts and stuff i've got a bag full of grunden's rain gear which you can buy at FTU, by the way there you go baby. i've got i've got two bags full of fishing clothes um i brought two caps you know you gotta have your going out cap and your fishing cap right hey, your dress cap that's it uh but we left this morning at four thirty. Uh, we hit the lower ninth ward okay so why
1: are you there in case anybody didn't listen to last week's podcast
0: oh we're here for the redfish world series we're here for the redfish world series it's a four-day tournament got to catch a lot of them and it's it's quite simply the best guys out there it's the top 55 teams you can find um we have to catch two fish day one three fish day two i think four fish day three i'm probably should check on that and then they cut it, and then the last day, they, the top 12 teams move on for, uh, I think, a $100,000 payday. Mm, I think there's $200,000 paid out at this thing. Um, this is my first year to be in, it. I'm really happy to be here. Uh, Daniel and I wanted to get down there early, get set up, ready to go. We, uh, we took a shortcut through the Lower Ninth Ward, which was great. Um, got, got down here at 1130, and they told us that we would not be able to move into our RV until 3 p.m., so it's a good it's good that we got up and got down here early, but Daniel did point out we missed a we missed a bunch of traffic, so I'm not gonna beat up on him on that. But no, but yeah, cool. uh, I think I have 15 rods in the back of my truck. I hope to come home with two or three of them. And I told y'all before the show that Daniel bought me a very special present, and he handed it to me right before we started recording and said, "I said, what's this?" He said, "It's yours." I said, "What owe you?" He said, "It's yours," and it is. I don't know why he would do this but he bought me a VHF emergency radio. (laughs) This thing floats. I mean, it's Caleb proof.
1: Well, there's two parts of that story and Scott, I want to get to you because you're grinning the whole time you've lived this life and I know I want to get your stories, but there's two parts of that gift that are very, very important. I think the most important part of that gift that Daniel gave you your partner, by the way, for those who don't know, uh, Daniel is your partner. Uh, number one, that you didn't have one in the first place after all the things you've done. And number two, it floats, which is, tells me Daniel knows you quite, quite well. But but uh, uh, just one more background thing, uh, because no pressure, by the way, Caleb, but we are all going to be watching very, very closely uh, and, and pulling for you. So so no pressure to, to produce this. Uh, I guess
0: it's in two weeks uh, the, the, in this tournament. It's Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday of Halloween weekend okay All and right. there there actually is a story with this bhf radio and why i didn't have one the matagorda locks operator i know his number it's on speed dial and every time i call oh rick answers the phone and i say hey rick what's the situation of the locks he says do you have a radio i said no i don't he said that's what you need to use to talk to me <laughs> i said rick i'm talking to you on the phone right now it's very easy so rick and i have this thing going back and forth but I, he, I he's going to be pleasantly surprised. I don't even know what channel it is. So, hey, somebody messaged me, telling me what channel the locks are on on this thing, <laughs> but I, I can't wait to talk to Rick telling me finally one. Scott, you're grinning the whole time. Caleb's talking about that. You have lived that
1: life for uh, uh, several years. I want to go back to the start of it. Um, it's better to be prepared for every uh, possibility but uh, our guy, Caleb, uh, certainly seemed to bring everything, maybe even including uh, the kitchen sink there. And, and then your thoughts on on just what it takes, because that's this is a process that people think, oh, yeah, hey, those guys showed up, went fishing, caught a bunch of fish, had some fun and won some money. Uh-uh, it's not. It doesn't work that way, does it? No. <laughs>
2: <laughs> and my travel partner was Dean. Mm-hmm.
0: So that was well, a whole that's even other... that's even better. That's I feel like Dean Jack lighter. <laughs> Dean probably brought less, I'd imagine.
2: Yeah, pretty much. I mean, Dean just kind of winged it. You know, hey, I got my, you can hear Dean say, I got my paddle. I got my kayak. I got two rods and reels. I got some lures. We're good. <laughs> and that was about it. But uh, yeah, we traveled all over South Florida like that, all the way down to the Everglades. And uh, the difference was we had to go and catch snook yeah. and uh, snook, redfish, and trout. And we, you know, every tournament was a, a three peat, you know, you had, to, had to get all three in order to do well. That just puts a whole different level on it. Um, but just trying to catch redfish in Florida is tough. Um, uh, they, they do a thing. They call it dead sticking. They'll take gulp and they got all that grass around there and they go up to a pier and where that pier is sitting and there's no grass underneath it. They'll throw that gulp into that dead spot up under that pier, and just let it sit. And they call that lure fishing somehow, but, uh, it's more like bait fishing. Uh, that but that's crazy. It works. Yeah.
0: I have, I have a, quite a large selection of gulp and I am quite famous for dead sticking. That that's it's actually a really good, uh, technique over here. And it's not so much what Scott's talking about. It, it works really well in Corpus where you throw that, that gulp out and let it sit in a sand spot. But over here, we'll find real finicky redfish that don't really want to eat and I'll have to lay it in front of his nose and just let it sit there and maybe just jiggle it a little bit. But yeah, like Scott said, there's a lot that goes on to into it. There's, I know of at least 10 teams that were here this time last week and we're scattered out about 200 miles right now. There's there, the, the tournament launches out of Hope Dale and there's people in Venice. There's people way West of Venice. Uh, we are, we are scattered out big time to the point where out of 55 boats, I may be able to fish all day without seeing another boat, you know, in in a lot of these areas.
1: And Scott, you know, um, for, you know, we have such a, you know, a wide variety of listeners and, and fishermen uh, with, you know, wide variety of experience. Um, I don't think people understand uh, fully. Some don't, um, you know, how these tournaments work. He just talked about being spread out uh, nine times out of 10, 10 times out of 10 in tournaments like this, you have to put in and put out in the same area. They have these, uh, these times where you go out and do your fishing you know, what kind of, uh, what kind of challenges does that, uh, d- does that bring, you know, for the competitors? Because, um, another thing that people don't understand, you didn't do it in your kayak and maybe Caleb can follow up, you know, with this, but you can put in and let's say, what'd you say? Caleb, Hope Dale, uh, Caleb, you know, right. And then run 50, 60, maybe even more miles away.
2: Yeah. I mean, in the kayak term, it was different. We would drive that far. I mean, we'd, all the only real rule was that we had to put in at a public launch. We couldn't go to some private, you know, go through somebody's yard and launch, you know, yeah. in some private place. It had to be a place where everybody could launch. Uh, but I did the boat tournament thing, too. And we did it in my little polling skiff a lot so we could get <laughs> way back into these back areas. So you didn't really want to make a big, long run. You know, the way a lot of these guys are doing these days. And even back then, everybody was doing it. You know, we'd have a Galveston tournament, and there'd be guys fishing Sabine, Matagorda, all over the place. Um, You have to figure out how much fishing time you need in a day and how much travel time you can allow. Uh, It's a fine line. You know, say if the bite, you know the bite's going to be early, you're really pushing it if you're going to try to run a long, long ways and then get on that bite real quick and then mm-hmm. get all the way back. Mm-hmm. Uh, my my theory on it was I was, we were driving past a lot of fish. You know, a lot of those guys were driving past a ton of fish. So we stopped and fished the the fish that were closer. And we had one out of uh, Clear Lake where we were supposed to launch out there and go out the channel at Clear Lake. And we turned around, went we went out and launched, and we we went past the check station at the end of the, little pier there mm-hmm. and then we did a u-turn and went right back up into clear lake and went into the back end taylor lake and some of those places that's where all our fish were and uh, everybody else was running all over the place we were we were fishing within sight we could see the ferris wheel
1: <laughs> caleb the balance there and 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 you guys know I, I i've just done you know a few tournaments a year and they're not you know big money tournaments like what you guys have done and did and are doing But the balance there for me is is always intimidating. Like, let's say I know you know I can find my you know some redfish or or whatever it is trout at this particular place. But do I really want to risk an hour, two hours, or whatever it is? How do you? I mean, how do you figure that out? Don't don't get you know uh, do anything against the rules for this particular tournament. Just go back into some of the tournaments that you've been. You know, how do you figure out when where I want to go and how much of a risk I want to take?
0: Well, it's an experience thing. It really is. And, you know, I want to make it clear that I'm no tournament guru. I've weaseled my way into a couple of pretty cool ones and got lucky here and there. Um, I'm going to go where I'm comfortable spending a a lot of time at. Now there's situations where, uh, you know, you'll run four hours one way. And, but like Scott was saying, you'd know that you have an hour or two to catch your fish and get back. But, if you're doing that, you're running to a high percentage area that has has good stuff in it. I'm always going to try to stay close if I can. Um, we uh, we want to find something within 20 miles of the launch here. That's 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 what we really want to do. Do we are we going to have to run 100 miles? It's quite possible. Uh, the tournament that Daniel and I won in Sabine, um, I think it was 80 miles one way, but those those ponds had proven themselves in our practice fishing. And I knew that once we got there, we didn't have to do any more running. One of the things that 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 I tell a lot of people that reach out to me for some crazy reason about tips for tournament fishing is tournament fishing is it has nothing to do with like fishing with your buddies on Saturday. Tournament fishing, a high percentage of it is time management, period. Um, you know, know, knowing how to make the most out of every single minute of your day. And like Scott was saying, sometimes that bite window is early. Pat, Pat and I, the legends in Corpus Christi a couple of years ago, Pat and I had it won hands down easily, easily. Uh, we, had been on, we had been on fish that were averaging seven and eight pounds. and These are all trout. Um, and those particular fish had won the last three tournaments in a row for the last three weeks in a row. We knew those fish. And a fog delay that morning put us there 45 minutes late because they had slid off every morning at 9 a.m. We got there about five minutes after nine. About I think the second pat, the second cast, Pat caught a big one, and then Pat moved out to the drop-off while I tried to get into the good stuff, and Pat caught the last big one of the day on the drop-off. We got there right as they were moving away. So it, it's, heavy, it's hedging your bets. It's gambling. It's trying to make the smart move. Sometimes it works. A lot of times it doesn't. Whenever you see these big guns like the guys that are down here coming in with nothing, it isn't because they aren't good enough to go catch fish all day. They were hedging their bets on what they thought it took to win the tournament. And some timing got them, some tide got them, some you know something got them. But they were they were they were going to where they wanted to go for a particular reason. So uh, I'll close with when you are tournament fishing, um, you know, make a plan and stick to it. You know, the, the there's mornings where you wake up and the tide did something wonky or the wind did something did wonky, and you have to make last minute calls. But at the end of the day, you know, make a plan, stick to it, and if you don't catch your fish in the first two hours, don't panic and bounce around and run around. You know, you you can go watch the YouTube video that I put up of me and Daniel at that tournament in Sabine. We didn't have our fish caught until 15 minutes before his time to come home, but we stayed with that plan all day.
1: Now, Scott, uh, we do have a lot of uh, tournament fishermen like myself that mainly do, you know, smaller charity stuff. Also, some very experienced fishermen here when you are scouting and i'm going to let caleb decide if he wants to weigh in on this cuz again we want to make sure he's all uh, good to go for for uh, the world series do you just start closest to the to the launch area and just you know kind of go in a certain direction or is there a strategy to scouting uh you look at weather do you look at uh, t- tidal patterns when a tide is hitting a certain area that's what i've done in the past like okay the tide is here at this hour, uh, you know, today and, 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 and tomorrow when I'm fishing or whatever, and it's here, you know, three hours later, three hours earlier, you know, guys want to, and, and this is, this extends not just to tournaments. It's like maybe, you know, uh, increasing your odds to catch fish period on a given day. How do you like scout, let's say a, a 50 mile, we'll keep it simple, you know, sort of target zone that, that you want to fish.
2: I know what my fish are doing. And I'm going to look for areas that are similar to that. And like he said, comfort, you know, what you're comfortable fishing. Uh, I like marshes. You know, I like fishing rivers and I like fishing marshes. Uh, if either one of those is available to me closer to that ramp, then that's where I'm going to go. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not a deep water guy. You know, there's a bunch of deep water specialists and it didn't do me any good to go out there and roam around in the middle of East Bay or the middle of Trinity and look for those deep water schools. I got it. That wasn't in my game plan. It's not my wheelhouse. I'm just not going to, I don't feel comfortable doing that. Uh, so know what you like to do and know what you're most comfortable catching fish doing, and then start working from there, using a map, using Google earth, uh, then, then start putting your time on the water, uh Google Earth is the way to go uh always was for me. uh We were fishing places in Florida we had no clue about, and uh we learned real quick what type of areas we liked and what type of areas we wanted to stay away from. Uh, there was a whole lot of guys over there fish docks uh, we just didn't do well on docks, mm-hmm. so we fished a lot of more backwaters uh the canopied areas where the mangroves were making complete canopies and had shade all day long. Uh, We could catch fish in those all day. You know, it wasn't a morning or an evening thing. Uh, You had that lower light in there, and you'd have good tide movement going through there. So we would look for, do a lot, a lot of scouting Mm -hmm. on Google Earth before we'd ever even get there. And then that narrowed it down to half a dozen places we needed to go check during that week that we were pre-fishing.
1: Caleb, how do you approach the day the day before, the week before, whatever, when you're trying to target, okay, this is the area I need to find where some fish are?
0: It, it's fairly similar to what Scott said. Um, we all have our different strengths. Mine, I truly believe that if I find water where I can see the fish, I can compete with anybody out there. Uh, one of the things that I'm gifted with is I, I can see them before they see me a lot of the time, and I can hit my cast. I'm good at that. So what I'm going to be doing over here, I'm, I'm going to probably stay in the marsh Um, I haven't, my, I I got cut off from being able to speak with anybody outside or inside the tournament a week ago. The 12th was the last day we could talk to anybody. Um, but before that, I heard that the water was pretty dirty over here. There's certain things that happen in this marsh. I'm moderately experienced over here Mm -hmm. in this particular area. So I know several places and scenarios where it really doesn't matter how dirty the water gets. The water's going to be clean there. So the first thing I'm doing is I'm going to find stuff that matches my game. I want to find what I know I can confidently do. If the, if it turns out that stuff's off, then I'm going to have to adapt and change. And I'm going to have to fish those dirtier windblown shorelines. I'm going to have to fish that deeper water. But what what I really what I really want to do is I I want to go find clean water where I can see some fish and, and pick them out. That's the number one goal for about the next four or five days is just checking all those places that should have stayed clean.
1: That's really good stuff. And again, it, I don't think it necessarily uh, 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 applies to, to just um, to, to just tournament fishing. I want to talk about this question we got about the perfect wade, which is obviously a good time to, to remind our listeners, the, the Bite Me uh, community, uh, if you will, about coasting, CoastalFishingGear.com, the wade right belt, the wade right sling, and, and the terrific, terrific things uh, that they have for our listeners. That's another reason to want to be a part of uh, the group page. And that is uh, go to Coastal, CoastalFishingGear.com. Uh, it is wade season right now. It's always wade season, but especially right now. Uh, so you can get, uh, use the promo code BITEME20, one word, Me 20 and you get 20% off the entire package. You can go to the website and get more details, but it's the, the bite me combo there. So uh, I, while speaking of wade fishing, um, Caleb, you know, the, the the perfect wade, the question, I won't read the whole thing, but the question is more about from like, the gear that, that, that are necessities, especially right now with the cooling weather uh, and the cooling water more specifically. And, and when you're, you know, we, we always talk about what you're looking for. Uh, And let's say people, you know, listening here, you know, have found where a place where they want to wait. But I think what he was talking about was from the gear to, you know, actually waiting, you know, he was talking about he and his three buddies, which, so there's four people waiting. We've touched on this a little bit, but how would you sort of, you know, put, put the group out there in, in terms of where you start with depth, where you start with, you know, separation? Uh, how, how, you know, we always talk about going slow, so I'm not going to repeat that. But everything from getting set up for the perfect weight to actually, you know, conducting, so to speak, the, the perfect weight.
0: Uh, assuming I don't know exactly where the bite is, I just know an area. I think I that's what that, he's talking about, yeah. Right. Uh, Pat and I do this quite often we fish together and Pat's the guy that always goes up really, really shallow. And then I start out deeper. I'm usually a, a, a good ways out uh, deeper than Pat is. And then we, we just kind of zigzag back and forth and, you know, we're, we can't, we're not really within talking distance of each other, but we, we could definitely watch each other and see what's going on. And if I see Pat locked down and really start fishing an area, then I might start sliding towards him or vice versa. Um, you know, different, different, Tides, different water temperatures, all kinds of stuff. Those fish, they might have been a hundred yards off the bank yesterday, whenever you found it or whatever. They could slide up real skinny or they can move from skinny to, to further out. So we do, we do split up and try to fish, you know, different, different depths. No doubt. Um, Pat might go to grass while I go to like some shell that's in the area or a drain or a deeper spot or, or something like that. Uh, but it, it's, it's all about trying to hit. All the differences in that in that area until one of you pick it up. If you have four guys, then you know it's easier to do. You can you can spread out where you have a guy shallow and then a little bit further out, a little bit further out, a little bit further out, and kind of move your way down the bank. Um, it I I wouldn't everybody just jump out all in the same spot and just and just go to fishing. You know, I, I would definitely try to spread out and go that way. Scott, how are he, you? Oh, go ahead. <clears throat> oh, I'm I'm sorry. He he had asked about gear, but I, yeah, I thought that's what that I was going to ask. It, me. Yeah yeah um I didn't want to get too too spread out on that topic uh man, I've said it a million times i I travel light I travel as light as I possibly can, except to um, Louisiana. It, it, <laughs> well, my truck and my truck and my <laughs> shoulders are two different animals um uh, you know i i I don't drag a net I always have bogus if i'm wearing if I'm wearing waiters i'm rarely have, have on a waiting belt, I don't carry stringers, so there's no need for that um and then just an over the shoulder box you know the wade right box or however you want to do it uh but as far as the lures man i see people get out and there's nothing wrong with it i don't guess but i see people get out and they'll have 25 quirkies and 400 plastics and 15 topwaters yep, you're preaching uh, <laughs> yeah <laughs> I, you know i have i have you know two or three quirkies, maybe five or 10 plastics two jig heads and a topwater and, and that's all i take Um, I I think it keeps you a little bit more focused and keeps you a little bit more grindy with that lure, but you do have, you know, you, you have the ability to change the plastics, change the top water or something like that. I think when you have so much in your box that you're spending a lot of the time messing with your own head, trying to decide what you want to change to maybe this will work, maybe that'll work. And, you know, it just, it might be, you just haven't put it in front of her nose yet.
1: You know, Scott, you know, you know, that that's, I feel very strongly about that. You're not, I will say you're not on an expedition, you know, you, you're not Lewis and Clark you know, he, you don't need to have sandwiches and beers and, and, and waters and, uh, you know, your whole tackle box. I'm totally with Caleb on that. I know you're, you're a advocate of that as well, but, uh, you know, when, when you're, when you're getting out and waiting, uh, you know, I always, this is where I'm totally different because I fished with pet Gardner. That's, that's who, uh, Caleb was referencing there. I, I just, I can't help myself, but wanting to cast so as soon as I get in the water I'm casting a lot of guys just go straight to the shoreline and it works you know Patrick's one of the best wade fishermen I've ever seen in my life uh getting real real shallow ankle deep practically and, and working that way but the other thing I like to do uh and I want to get your thoughts just on, on all this Scott is I like to, to start casting as soon as I get out of the water because no matter where how well I know a particular area you can just get those reminders of what the bottom feels like as you're working your way toward the shore, or as you're working your way toward one direction or another, and you kind of get in your mind, you know, uh, what what the what the bottom feels like: shell to mud, mud to shell, deep mud, soft mud, hard mud, and it gives you a kind of a a, a, a mental image, even when you're coming back. You're like, okay, I w- kind of walk through that area that was. That would probably be pretty fishy. I might've scared some fish off. So I'm going to go back this other direction and hit that area better. So that, that's one of my strategies of why I immediately start casting as soon as I, I get in the water.
2: Okay, Catch fish if your lure's not in the wall. Right. So might as well start casting, you know. Uh, one of the things when you when you're selecting those lures and you got your buddy that's going to go fish with you, make sure you got the same lure that he really likes to throw. Because that lure is going to get real expensive about 400 yards from the boat. When he starts catching fish and you're not. (laughs) I've had that discussion many, many times. (laughs) What do Uh, I owe you? (laughs) Yeah. How much is it for that gold spoon? Uh Oh, you didn't bring one? Yeah. 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 I think I can make me some money here. Oh, man. I can't even uh, tell you how many times I've been in that boat, so to speak. Go light, you know, like he's talking about. Don't bring everything with you. Uh, I'll, I'll typically bring, you know, a couple of top waters, handful of soft plastics, you know, a light color and a dark color and a few jig heads, maybe a couple of different weights, but truly do pay attention to what your buddy's going to be throwing, uh, and know what his favorite thing to throw is and make sure and pack one or two of those. Because if you're going out there and you don't get on, you don't get on fish your way and you look over and he's getting on fish, throwing what he likes to throw. It'd be real handy to have something. That, uh, <laughs>
0: yeah. Handy. yeah, I told us. I told a story last week when I, was, I we were talking about uh, whenever we were catching all those big trout on the on the purple swim baits. You had to have those. That wasn't completely true. Uh, the I think the second or third day we were on those fish, one of my buddies stopped in. No, old, good old Blake Burnside from the CCA. I'm going to call him out. <laughs> he stops in and he's throwing he's throwing just a, a generic old. Quirky fat boy, black back and silver sides. And uh, you know, we'd kind of waved him in. You come fish with us, buddy. You know, we all, all we all live in the same town. We're all good friends. And uh he gets out and he comes up there and man, he throws out and something just waylays this quirky, right? <laughs> and he reels it in, he throws it back out and wham. And we don't we still don't know what he caught. He never turned it. It just just ran, dragged, and then bip, got off. And uh I said, Hey Blake. And I, I could see his pockets there bulging. Any. Anybody that has fished for a long time can look at a Sims jacket at those big old sandwich bag front pockets until when it's full of corkies. right? Yeah. I look over at Blake. I'm like, hey, man, you got no one of them corkies?" He looks at me and goes, nope. <laughs> and, I you know, I kind of laugh. I'm like, yeah, okay, okay. And then it got silent. And it was 30 seconds of me going, ah, here, you know, waiting for him to go, ah, here's what he never did it. He never and, Nope. And just kept fishing, man. <laughs> You're on your own, big fella. Uh, Yeah. So whenever I say you had to have a purple lure to catch them, you had to, because that's the only thing you're going to get your hands on out there that day. (laughs) It it, it is interesting. uh, You know, the, the games
1: people play, so to speak out there now, uh, last thing. And before we move on from waiting um, you know, Caleb, when, when you, well, both of you, but Caleb, I'll start with you when you're waiting. uh, Just, this is just to reiterate, we've talked about this. Anybody that listens to the podcast, uh, but I just feel like this is so important that so many people don't do. And you just get a hit. I mean, just a hit, a good hit. Um, well, I'll just
0: let you say it. W- what do you do? I'm I'm locked up. Yep. I'm there for a long time, <laughs> especially if the water's cold. If the water's cold, I'm really there a long time. Um, and, and it might not be so much as I'm waiting on that fish to come back. It, as it is is those fish usually aren't by themselves. Maybe it's signaling that well, fish are starting to come in there. You know, if, if I'm in a if I'm in a drain, I, I fished I there's a I had a heck of a day one day where we had I think ten fish up to thirty two. Uh I got there at six thirty in the morning and I did not catch my first fish until after lunch. It just looked right. Everything felt right. And uh you know, like you said, I, I about I don't know one o'clock, boom and uh Missed it, nothing. One thirty, thump, and I caught one. And then at two o'clock, it just came alive. Mm-hmm. So especially if the water's cold. Now, if it's if it's springtime, summertime, something like that, where you know the, if there's fish in the area, they should be eating. And I get a thump. I'm still going to lock up, but I, I'm probably not going to give it more than ten minutes without getting another bite. But in the winter time, I'm probably going to hang out for a good long while.
1: That's Patrick Gardner's wheelhouse. Sometimes I'm like, dude,
0: that's enough. What, <laughs> what you're not? What you're not? telling everybody though is pat is an absolute freak of nature that that, there is something special about that guy you know i talk about sight casting redfish out of my hundred thousand dollar tower boat that fool can be ankle deep in water and sight cast trout 30 yards away from him we were we were fishing a a tournament years ago and man it was the last second we had to get in it was out of port o'connor we had started way over in east matagorda bay and we needed one more good fish on our way home we stop over like behind like the Greens Airport area there in West Bay, just kind of a, kind of a Hail Mary. And honestly, what we were trying to do is upgrade our redfish. Our redfish was pathetic. That is probably the only tournament I've ever weighed in a redfish and worried about it measuring on the short side, right? <laughs> uh, you know, I think we had three, five pound trout and we had our redfish weighed, I, don't, I think it weighed under two pounds and was still somehow 20 inches. It was terrible. <laughs> and, and so if anybody knows that area, from greens all the way down to the concrete wall, there's this there's this sandbar that in the wintertime you really can't get over it, right? So Pat went to the other side of that sandbar and he's just walking, he's just going. And and Donnie and I, we were fishing around there. And this was the second tournament I'd ever fished with Pat. I really didn't know the guy. You know, uh, Nick Mosley, that was his cousin. Nick had vouched for him. He's a good fisherman. Um and in the first tournament, Pat had Pat had really done well and proved himself. So I mean, we believed in the in the guy. Um, but so Pat's over there. The weigh-ins at four, and dude, it's like three forty-two, right? <laughs> and and we and we had did really well in the first tournament, so we're we're in it for team of the year. I'm really worried about getting there late. And last second, this dude just takes off. I mean, he is walking down the grass line towards Port O'Connor. I can't go pick him up in the boats. I can't get over the sandbar. And he's you know he's out of earshot. We're yelling, he's not hearing us. And I'm telling Donnie, and I mean, I love Pat. We we we. We we're basically brothers now, so I'll say this. I looked at Pat. I looked at Donnie. I said, "What is this kid doing? This idiot is gonna make us miss weigh-in. I mean, I, I'm I'm freaking out." Pat walks like 300 yards, and it, it looks like he's like like uh, trying to get a deer with a with a stick and a you know caveman style, right? <laughs> and he finally gets in and He casts out, and this dude hooks up, and it whitewaters in front of him. And uh, he had been stalking a trout that far and caught it. Uh, you know, yeah. I, I'm just, I'm just blown away. I I can vouch
1: for everything you were saying, as you guys know, I've known him since he was four years old and I consider that Scott, I consider that one of my strengths. I can see, you know, in the water pretty well, you know, shout out to the coast of glasses by the way as well, but I don't even hold a candle to him. I mean, the the way it works, I don't know if you have anything to add on this before we move on Scott, but uh, you know, that, that, those are the things that you have to do is just plant. Yeah.
2: Just get stuck. You know, uh, watch, watch everybody else in the line too. You know, you inevitably, yeah, I'd have a group of guys out and we're waiting and we, we hit fish. All right. Everybody stop. Well, one guy starts creeping. Yeah. It it, inevitably they, they, every cast, they make another two steps and Mm -hmm. they make another two steps and they make another before long. He's way out in front of you and he's blown the fish out. So pay attention to what your buddies are doing. And don't be the guy that that creeps out there. Don't in, be that guy into the fish. Don't be yeah, that. Don't guy. be that guy.
1: Always, right, Scott, this, always this, one. This here this is. Uh, sometimes I've been that guy. No, just kidding. But not really. Um, you don't know you're
0: walking forwards a lot of the time. It just huh? happens. You don't know you're doing it. Well, it just a lot happens of times sometimes. you're kind to
1: of move your feet, and then all of a sudden you're 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 moving forward. The and the waves gotta, are kind of tapping yeah, you in the back. Yeah, and yeah. you got to catch yourself. So Scott, I feel like this is a great place for for you to 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 hop in on on this discussion. This great question, you know, we we tend to assume a lot that people know everything about when we say lower coast, upper coast, middle coast. But can you just give us that little fingernail sketch, so to speak, of like somebody listening to us in Oklahoma, let's say, or wherever, and they're, they're, they 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 want to go fishing down here, and they they they're trying to find that spot or maybe that house, that rental house, or whatever. What do they need to know? We'll start with the upper coast because we did a kind of a deep dive into the potholes and everything last week. You know, what do they need to know about if they're going to fish the upper coast
2: and how would you define it? Upper coast, I'm going to call probably, uh, maybe down. What do you think, Caleb? Maybe down to to the Surf Server? Colorado?
0: I wouldn't go with the Colorado. I don't know. Maybe. Maybe like the Brazos River to Sabine, yeah. maybe. Yeah, Cedar I think Lakes. By, I think by definition it's Selkirk North. Uh, I'm sorry, Sergeant North. I think it's a swing bridge North, but I still wouldn't call from Sergeant to. Uh, I don't know. You know the,
2: the Cedar Lakes are are so much like a lot of the places on the upper coast. You know, a lot of, like Drum Bay and mm-hmm. uh, all those areas around there. So I'd I'd include Cedar on the upper and then start with Matagorda. And go down to Aransas Pass, the the flats around three sixty one there, as uh, the middle, and then from the JFK Causeway down is definitely south. You know that that's lower coast. All right, so start with the uh, upper coast if, in my book.
1: If you're going blind as you know long week weekend uh, week of fishing, what do they need
2: to know? Well, you're going to fish from dirtier water. You know, uh, bring lures that make a little noise. Uh, Finding clear water on the upper coast is—it can be done certain times of the year. In the winter time, especially, you can still get some clear water. Um, but for the most part, you're going to be fishing a little dirtier water. You can fish more structure. Uh, you're going to want to fish the oyster reefs or, or money. Yeah, you know, that—that's always good. Uh, a lot more marshes on the upper coast. Uh, you got and just tons of marsh rimming most of the the major bays down there. Uh, up that way so it's a different kind of fishing you know that that marsh fishing you're gonna be looking for redfish if you want to go for the trout go ahead and and look at those open water oyster reefs a little bit more maybe the jetties uh you got good jetties there at sabine you got good jetties at galveston you got miles of jetties at galveston um mm-hmm. uh, the backside of san Luis pass uh you got some good wading areas in there uh, get to the middle coast and then you get into a little more sight fishing uh you can you can find a little clearer water on the bottom uh, you still got marshes you still got areas that you can disappear off into back lakes a uh, lot less oysters once you get out of you know east matagorda's got some oysters and west has got a few oysters you get down to port o'connor they they get pretty scarce mm. um then you get up in San Antonio Bay, that, that's all it is, is oysters. Uh, San Antonio Bay almost fishes more like, to me, more like an upper coastal bay, uh, fishing the oyster reefs. But then you get on down like Dean's area, uh, that's all, it's all about the grass and drop offs and, and uh, fishing potholes and things like that. You go further south, then it gets into just miles and miles and miles of the same. I mean, everything is, it's the same depth. It's the same look. It's, it's hard to fish down there. If you don't know what you're doing, just set up some long, long drifts Mm -hmm. and you'll run across fish. Uh, Baffin's a little different. Caleb knows Baffin better than I do, but, uh, most of what you consider lower Laguna Madre is just going to be miles of grass flats. Uh, most of the place, if it wasn't for the intercoastal, most places you probably walk all the way across the bay. Yeah. Yeah. Now, Caleb, when I, I saw this
1: question and I want to get your same take on, on what Scott just said, but this is where, this is where my mind went. Upper coast, deeper water. Um, probably maybe even if you're packing, maybe a heavier jig head. Uh, I, I would, I would, if I'm fishing the, and I spent, as people know, I spent a lot of time fishing Sabine. Um, you know, a lot of water movement out of, uh, you know, bayous mostly up there. Uh, so that's what I'm looking at. If I'm fishing the upper coast, and as Scott said, uh, darter, darker, dirtier water. What are your thoughts? to start with
0: the upper coast. Yeah, on the upper coast, you know, definitely. I'm throwing a quarter ounce jig head almost all the time because right. it's, it's deeper water. Um, it, 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 it's harder to is even on Google Earth and anything. It's, it's hard to, to identify structure. So you're, you're gonna you're gonna have to key in on bait and whatnot. One of the biggest differences I see between the Upper Coast and the Middle Coast is birds in deeper water mean a lot more on the Upper Coast. Uh, Sabine, East Galveston, even West Galveston, birds will work most of the year and typically have something you want to catch underneath them. Where um, Port O'Connor is more, uh, I I had a customer the other day and we drove past some birds, we were over close to Port O'Connor. And I, he, I could see him looking at him like, why is it this guy taking me over there? <laughs> and I told him, I said, how many gaff top do you want to catch? Dude, that, yeah, I told he...
1: that story when I was down in uh, in Copano. I couldn't resist myself. I was, I was taking the mm-hmm. family and I just wanted them to catch something. And I'm, I just I finally turned the wheel and I'm like just gaff top after gaff top.
0: Yeah, yeah. So that that's probably the biggest difference is I'll trust birds a lot more. So if you're new coming to one of these areas and you see some birds doing their thing, uh, it's definitely something to 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 give a shot with, uh, but you know, like Scott was saying, you're you're not going to find um, West Galveston's a little bit different. West Galveston has a bit of grass in it, but you're not going to find a whole lot of the big grass flats. You're you're going to find the muddy, the shell, you know, sand here and there. It, it, it's it's a totally different style of fishing to where you're really having to play into the currents and read the signs more so than your ability to see fish like you would, you know, further south.
1: And Scott, um, maybe this is just me, correct me if I'm wrong, but especially in this time of year, really into January, February, my experience on the upper coast has been a lot more, uh, mid bay, deeper fish. And I get, I'm guessing that, you know, in my opinion has a lot to do with the water, uh, in the deeper areas. Would that be correct?
2: Yeah. If you're going for trout, uh, now the redfish, they're going to do the same thing. They're they're going to get as shallow as they can get and hunt, hunt in the marsh uh, that I started off trout fishing, you know, growing up because we just didn't have that many reds and I fished a whole lot of the deep reefs. Uh, in fact, deep reef was the name of one yeah. that we fished over in East Bay all the time. And we typically stayed off the shorelines most of the year and fished those five, six foot, seven foot deep reefs, uh, that were scattered around. If you could find yourself a small, out-of-the-way reef, which we knew where there was quite a few of those that we'd just stumbled across over the years. Uh, those were honey holes because they weren't on any maps. Nobody really knew about them. And uh, you could get, get fish that weren't being molested. You go out on a place like Hannah's or Deep Reef, that everybody knows where it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, those fish are getting beat up pretty good. Uh, spring and, and fall, though, we'd, we'd work the shorelines. In wintertime, we'd move over into West Bay and work those coves and i mean it wasn't anything to be over there fishing the deep water catching trout
1: yeah and caleb all right mid coast uh before we move on
0: middle coast isn't much different than the upper coast you're still fishing you know for drains oyster reefs stuff like that uh you know like scott was saying you can get into the marshes and find some cleaner water uh our marshes for the most part most of them are are a little bit scarier than the stuff down south you know, down south, you screw up, you get stuck, you push it off or something. Up here, you're probably going to the fiberglass shop. Um, <laughs> I, I mean, it's really, no other way to put it. But again, you know, even even Matagorda, Matagorda, it'll it'll it, it it'll be pretty green water most of the year, but it's not something you're seeing through. Mm-hmm. So you, you're still really having to pay attention to the tides and the currents, and the bait, and and whatnot. You know, Matagorda has both of what y'all were talking about. It's got the you know, East Matagorda has the stuff you can wade up tighter with the drains and, and and shell and whatnot. It really doesn't have much for grass. The middle of the bay has the five foot deep shell, all that kind of stuff. And you move over to West Matagorda, and it's like you went to a whole different country where it's clear water with grass beds and and all that kind of whatnot. Um, you know, the I can't say that there's an answer for all of it, but I, I would say. I would I would say that if you're fishing the middle coast, be prepared to you know have to implement a lot more of the stuff that you've learned on this show or you've learned with your experience or whatnot. Um, as a, as opposed to the lower coast, you're still going to have to do it, but at least you can look down on the bottom and and or you can see potholes and target them and and stuff like that.
1: And lower coast, um, just me speaking for myself, generally um i i generally start with white clear light colored uh baits because the water is so clear uh, but what about like structure is completely different caleb i mean uh structure and what you're looking at i'm not talking about potholes we had that discussion last week but but let's say you're just fishing down there you know what are your, what are your
0: kind of telltale signs uh really my style down there is a little bit different because i didn't learn from anybody that was down there i just kind of had to I had to figure it out myself. And I mean, maybe I'm, I'm lying a little bit. One of my tournament partners is from Corpus and, and, uh, you know, he taught us a bit down there. I like, I like windblown, uh, shorelines and whatnot down there quite a bit. Like Scott was saying, there's miles and miles and miles of the exact same thing down there. So I really want to, I really want to hedge my bets. I want to find that shoreline that has bait pushed up to it. Um, you know, I want to find that maybe, maybe the edge of a grass bed. You know, I'm going to do stuff that, where maybe it's a little bit different than that miles and miles and miles of stuff that we're looking at. Um, there, unfortunately, there's really not an easy answer for down yeah. there. And and it, it, the population of fish down there was so dang good before the freeze. You could go down there and get by. Um, now, from what I understand, it, it's it's a bit tougher down there. I haven't been there since the freeze. But again, I'm gonna find something that hedges my bet. So I'm gonna find water moving between two islands or or something like that. At least to get started.
1: Yeah. And, uh, you know, while we're on the, the, the lighter and and cleaner, uh, clearer baits, um, another one that, uh, our, our listeners need to to kind of put a pin in and, and go to, uh, my Cause my buddy, Mike acrylic, uh, from knock and tail. Um, I, I just picked up several bags of uh, the bone ice, which I would use down there. The bone ice knock and tail has a little knocker in the, in the tail. It's, it's self-explanatory. Uh, I also, uh, would recommend that you go there because it has another, uh, Bite Me 20, uh, promo. So the Bite Me 20 promo code on MyCoastOutdoors. If you are going to try that, you're heading down there. Uh, Midcoast, uh, I, I use these in Matagord all the time. That's the greenback, uh, that he has there. And, and those are good because you can just, uh, you can just really don't even have to work them that hard, if at all. So, so he's got that, uh, going for us. Um, all right. So, let's get to um, that. That's a good discussion. We're going to have to, you know, kind of follow up on that in a future podcast, but before uh, we move on, uh, I promise this and um, I don't know, you know, Scott and I have talked about, especially when the sun comes up and and it gets colder in the colder months, you know, a lot of times find the, the, the concrete, the steel um, that would warm up first. That might be a good kind of attack zone, uh, for fishing. I do that a lot. Um, I did it more up upper coast, you know, in, when I was at Trinity and, and, Sabine, but I still do it some down in Matagorda where I am now, um, for intercoastal intercoastal fishing. And I know we all do it. I do it nine, 90 times out of a hundred, you know, Scott, I'm just, uh, you know, barreling through the ditch in my mind. I have my game plan as Caleb was talking about, and I'm going to these pl- three places. Let's say that I have my head I have to catch myself because sometimes there are things, if your head's on a swivel and you're always paying attention, there are things that you can see on the intercoastal, especially as the, the water starts to cool down, that might want you to, to put the proverbial brakes on and give it a shot. What what are you looking at? If, if you are, you know, you do see, so what do you, what would you see that would make you stop? Put it that way.
2: Uh, if I'm polling, uh, well, you know, not, not, yeah, not when you're polling because that's that I've got areas sense. down here that, that yeah. are long sand flats. On the intercoastal, right, right on that, the, yeah, yeah, right on the drop off, and there's some grass on them. Mm-hmm. Uh, I like to find an area that's got some kind of structure, Uh not just miles of the same. Yeah, you, know, you want some some little drains, some little edges that uh, where maybe the salt grass is growing down. One of my favorite areas down here, there's a lot of salt grass growing out into the intercoastal. You know, the cord grass, uh, the redfish will tend to move up there and be on the edge of that, uh, the rip rap, any kind, any time I see the rip rap, if it's just miles of exactly the same rip rap, you can get a trolling motor, and go down it and find some fish. Uh, they'll, there'll usually be a little gut right up against it where the waves from all the boats have washed it out. Um, throwing, throwing right onto those rocks, you know, it's concrete, The throwing right up to that concrete. Yeah. Um, if you find one that's got a weird like a washout, you know, where you've got miles and miles of this uh riprap and then there's an area where maybe a barge got pushed up onto it or something, there's a a deeper hole pushed into it, stop and fish that. Mm-hmm. Uh give that a shot. You'll find flounder in there quite a bit too this time. Bingo, y'all are reading my mind. Uh, most of the time I'm always I'm always looking for redfish, you know, on those. Uh you'd be surprised how many redfish are just up there on those sand flats along the side of the intercoastal. Uh, it's a constant tidal movement for them. You know, even when it's a dead tide, all those barges moving by and all the bigger boats, uh, they're constantly throwing a wake up there and moving bait, moving fish around, uh, stirring up the bottom. So you can fish that on a dead day in the middle of the summer and still have water movement. Mm -hmm. Um, one of the main things I use it for is wind, honestly. Yeah. Down here in Port O'Connor, you know, if I Good if I've got one of those days, it's blowing 30, you know, out of the South and my guys still want to fish and all the open water is just blown out and I polling is going to be tough. I'll slip over there on the inside of that, get that big wall. You know, it's got those huge, uh, spoil banks all the way along there, 20 foot high and trees on top of them, I'll go, go snuggle up next to that. And I can pull for miles that way. Mm -hmm. And we do well.
1: Yeah. You know, Caleb, he just mentioned the wind and a lot of people, you know, kind of duck in there. That's how I found most of my favorite places on the intercoastal where we are now in Matagorda over the years, uh, because you just, you, you know, you have the itch you want to fish or you have buddies that you want to take or clients in your case. Um, But one thing that I look at and I want to get your thoughts, what would make you stop and, you know, just to be completely honest here, most of the time when I stop in the intercoastal and I see some, it's because I'm on my way in and I didn't miss necessarily, or I want to catch some more fish or didn't necessarily catch fish. And I'm like, well, let me try this, these spots that I like. But one thing that I'm looking at, there's, there's oftentimes there's cliffs, you know, from, especially on the north side of where we fish, uh, you know, there, there's cliffs. Some of those cliffs, you can see the same signs uh, that Scott was talking about kind of bleeding into the water well it's going to be underneath the surface of the water too and that's going to be sort of you know uh changes uh tidal movement things that have maybe you know for a reason they've either been blown in or you know the tide has taken them into the intercoastal so their structure there that's one of the things i'm looking at and that is a redfish heaven uh what i'm talking about but uh what are you looking at
0: uh yeah we call those high banks and you know when when scott talks about fishing the river we look at those high banks too uh, and the, I mean, they're big old wads of, of clay and, and they will fall off and make lumps and, and little mounds and whatnot. Um, I really like structure in the intercoastal, but what usually has to come with that for me to really get in on it is a really high tide. If the tide's up real high, um, uh, trees in the water, stuff like that. There's i uh, I've had many a day where we, we hung out in the intercoastal and every time we cast it near a tree, we caught a fish. I mean, just that I'm little kids, you know, whoever I had with me, uh, fishing that structure because those redfish would hang close to it, uh, full disclosure in the summertime, nine out of 10 days, I'm fishing the intercoastal, uh, windy, not windy, doesn't matter if the water looks any kind of decent, I'm in it. Uh, this year has been different since the, since the freeze. I, uh, I haven't seen a whole lot of fish up around me in the intercoastal or nothing like used to be anyway. I'm hoping the next year that changes. But uh, whenever I'm running down the when I'm running down the ditch, uh, I'm looking, uh, you know, certain times of year, if there's any kind of a shad hatch, you see a, a little shadow looks like a cloud shadow It's typically shad up there. Um, the white snowy egrets like Scott talks about. I see mm-hmm. those guys lined up, especially if they're lined up on riprap or something like that. Uh, I'll, I'll do that. And, you know, you and I have we have riprap between us and that riprap does have several places where it's washed out or maybe it looks like a, maybe a barge hit it or something. Yeah. And I'll, I'll go all the way down that. And like Scott said, there's typically a gut down it. And it's, man, I'm playing Russian roulette with my $1 jig heads, but I'm telling my customers throw it right up on that riprap to get it in that gut. And, you know, me, my customers, anybody, that riprap will take it away. So if you're not you losing lures, you aren't doing it right. Uh, uh, but, yeah, but, uh,
1: absolutely, 100%. Um, okay. So, you know, this is a, a, a go-to that's become very, very popular. What would Scott do? What would, uh, Caleb do? Uh, you know, Caleb, I'll start with you because you're, you just left our area and, and uh, I know you're going to be in the tournament, but you, you got some, some good ideas of what the weather is doing right now, or what the water is doing right now,
0: uh, in the middle coast. Uh, what would you do? Yeah, whenever I was down there the other day, the water, the water was looking pretty good. You know, the wind was pretty decent. We have some really nice, favorable winds all week this week. Um, our barometer is not too high. It's like a a 30. So I'd call that, you know, not great, not bad, you know, right in the middle of fishable stuff. It's sunny. Uh, it's cooler out. I 100% would be out in deeper water throwing jig heads over shell. And watching over my shoulder for birds to to be kicking off with this with this cooler water and low winds, I think that the birds are probably going to make life pretty easy over there in Texas for for a good while. And the fishing, I mean, really just go out there and cast because I'm not there, therefore the fishing is going to be on fire and easy.
1: <laughs> uh, what are you I,
0: uh, have you seen some birds? I, the bird the birds have been popping up on the low on the lower wind days there was one day it blew pretty good and the birds were still working but then then it got you know kind of trashed and 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 i left out of there but almost every day that the wind has been lower in the last couple of weeks the birds have been firing off and doing their job um, this is one of those weekends where i'm not
1: i'm, I'm going to be out there by the way uh i am going to be fishing like crazy friday saturday sunday uh, because, uh, I am taking my, my brand new warrior out, man. You guys see me out there in that, uh, ice blue warrior, uh, God, they did a good job. I'm telling you, Jake and JT and everybody over at the boatyard in Kima, you guys got to go see them. Cause they, they, I, I asked them what I needed, did it all by text or phone. Just got, you know, a good look at everything and it is perfect. So I'm going to be putting it through all the pay. I'll be fishing the, the shallows, the deeps, the drifts, the, the intercoastal, uh, they did a great job over there, uh, but, uh, you know, I'm definitely going to be uh, looking for the mid Bay reefs in the middle coast where I am, Scott, what would Scott do? What do? Oh, oh I know what I was going to say. The, I don't quite, and this is going to be right in your wheelhouse, Scott. I've been looking at the weather like crazy because we, always, as we always talk about, you look at the weather and the winds and the tides several days before you go. I don't know if I really trust the wind this weekend, man, because like we've got it coming from the Northeast, then the East, the southeast, and I'm like, everything from, you know, 5 to 10 in the morning, and then it's both, I have saw one that it's going to be 20, 20, 20 to 30 uh, on Sunday, and I'm like, ah, I don't know if I trust it. So you really got to kind of feel your way this weekend as far as what I'm thinking,
2: but what are you thinking? I'm looking, Port O'Connor's looking good. Um, you know, less than 10 on Friday, right at 10 on Saturday, uh, all southeast. Uh, getting up a little bit on Sunday, but still not bad 10 to yeah. 15. Yeah, uh, our water temperature is still in the 80s down here. Uh, looked at it, for is the that upper real? coast. Yeah, it's mid 70s on the upper coast, so like Galveston, uh, off of uh, off Redfish Island out there, showing 73, but down mm-hmm. here it's showing 81, 82 mm. at, the, at the jetties, uh, right? The little jetties at Port O'Connor, right? Uh, so that front really didn't do a whole lot to knock our water temperature down much. I mean, it's right. better. You know, it, it was in the high eighties. So all's here. You know, if I was fishing the upper coast, you know, me, I'd be in the marsh. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've been posting some pictures, you know, as my memory stuff comes up on Facebook, some of the best days I've ever had. I saw that, marsh those videos were just
1: awesome. They go to the, go to the group page. Uh, and yeah, look at them. they were great.
2: Redfish just piling up on those grassy shorelines, chasing shrimp, swimming over mm-hmm. each other. Yeah. That's, that's typically what you find in the marshes this time of year. Just watch mm-hmm. for those white birds. Uh, down here, it's kicking up. Uh, I talked to, uh, Chuck Nizer and he had a double digit day yesterday. I think they had 17 on the fly, if I'm not mm-hmm. mistaken. Uh, it's good. You know, all the shallow water stuff is, is turning on, uh, trout. I, I don't pay that much attention to, honestly, you know, on the reports. Uh, but I would imagine that you could jump out and wade pretty much anywhere. You saw some slicks, saw some bait, uh, your typical areas, wherever you've fished this time of year in the past and and probably do okay. All right, Caleb, uh, I,
1: I, I, I'm not sure yet. I don't know if you are, if you're going to be joining us next week, hopefully so um but uh go kick some butt man Uh, i know we give you a hard time but but you are one hell of a fisherman and it's 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 a great great honor dude i'm not trying to just blow smoke at you to be in that tournament i know the competition could not be better everybody's going to be prepared everybody's probably already
0: there um and and uh go go get them man and uh keep us up to date i appreciate it i'm hoping that my signal came through pretty good and Uh, you know, I'll probably be able to be on next week as well, as as long as it makes it a listenable experience. Yeah,
1: for sure. Uh, Captain Scott, uh, Scott, no photography.com for your photos, which I always like to promote and uh, support. And I know our listeners do. Hopefully they'll pick up some of your great photos. You got a bit, another big event coming up. We'll get to that maybe next week uh, with the, the, the awards at the end of the month. Uh, but also bite me gear. We still have uh correct me if I'm wrong. We've got the, we got the buffs, we got the shirts, we got the hats and Camille stays on top of that. Is that correct? Yep. I just rearranged the closet the
2: other day because it was getting a little <laughs> out of your hand job in there. She gets yeah. it. You arrange it. Yeah. I kind of moved things around a little bit and made it a little easier to find some stuff. Uh, but yeah, we've got all that, that sitting up there uh, with that, uh, the wildlife and focus contest. Uh, the 30th is the award ceremony. And after that, I'll be able to put some more of those photos out that, I I had to hold back that I had to turn in. I couldn't show to the public. Yeah. That's they were judged. Put them on our and, page, man. And at that point, then I can start putting them on the website and you can order some prints, uh, make great Christmas gifts. That's right. And you got your sling off. You got your sling. Yeah. Off. yeah I had my two arms earlier again. The day. And, uh, she cautiously told me that I could take my sling off. She kind of has me pegged as kind of way we pegged Caleb. <laughs> <laughs> she, she says, Hold on now. You don't go crazy. You know, you can, you, we can take the sling off now, but very, very light. Don't, and then she she ended it and Camille started laughing because she was sitting behind me. We were doing it. It was a video in this time. And uh, she said, uh, And no fishing. She threw that one in at the very end, and Camille just started laughing.
0: Did light include the three foot by three foot by three foot boxes of shirts that you just admitted to moving around? Exactly, in the
2: <laughs> exactly. Uh, no, they're they're uh, we've separated them out, and they're in little tubs, and they're they're pretty lightweight. Uh, well, represent represent
1: us guys. Uh, we want to see your pictures in your Bite me gear. A lot of people down all over the coast have been sending pictures of that. That's cool. Uh, that's gas money for my boys uh, that I'm sitting across from. Um, and so, uh, every little bit helps, we, you know, we, we, we like to, uh, to keep this thing going. It's always my favorite hour uh, of the week. Um, any parting shots, uh, for you too?
0: i I'm going to do what I can. <laughs> <laughs> when you said somebody me?
2: walk up to me the other day, in Port O'Connor, and, uh, I was sitting in the truck and he, he walked up there and he says, uh, the sling, the beard and, uh, The Ftu sticker on the back of the truck. Are you Scott and all? (laughs) We had a great (laughs) little chat. He listens all the time. We can't have fun. Yeah,
0: I'm gonna make you, Max. We didn't get to it, but I'm gonna do everything I can to uh, leave my trailer at the ramp whenever I drive off this weekend. Oh trust me
1: <laughs> that will be a significant part of next week's podcast. you we start tease. with that next week. You're learning, you will start with it next week. You're learning the business, my man. <laughs> That's a tease right there. Uh so now you got to listen. Uh go don't forget to uh, to register, subscribe uh, all the places I mentioned earlier uh uh Spotify and iTunes and such and don't forget uh, to get that gear represent send us the pictures and uh, catch a bunch of fish I don't forget the wave man I'm gonna be all over that bay I'd probably be 12 hours on the water uh, so shout at me see me that uh, that ice blue uh, freedom warrior I'm happy to stop by uh, just wave me in and we'll wave we'll fish we'll have a good time. until then you guys
2: uh, have a great time have a great weekend and uh, catch them up we'll see you next time on podcast.